uh, do you believe in God was my question for her. She had said some things and I was just curious. Uh, she is Jewish. Uh, she's Polish. She went to concentration camps and she went to three of them and she ended up in Auschwitz. And she was there for years. Um, Christmas Eve, I believe it was 1944. It was the last Christmas before the end of the war. Um, they don't know that. They've just been in concentration camps for this point for years. Her family, most of her family was dead at that point. And she's a little girl by herself. So where sick people in outfits go on Christmas Eve, and she was lying in a cot, and she reached, um, and there was a little girl lying next to her. And they said something like, oh, it's Christmas. And they reached across the cot and they held hands. And she said that that's when I knew that what is beautiful and meaningful in the world is so immense and so crushing that no Nazis, nobody even has a chance to stamp it out. And there had to be a God to account for all this beauty. Gosh. In this interview, I'm joined by Dr. Jared Clifton from the University of Pennsylvania. Jira is one of the world's leading researchers into how our beliefs and worldview shape almost everything about our lives, including our well-being, our relationships, our sense of meaning and purpose, and our basic sense of safety in the world. Some of the key things we discuss in this conversation include Jira's incredible story of saving a stranger from certain death in the subway and how this impacted his later trajectory in life, the pervasiveness of the belief in a just world in our society, its good points, but also the hidden downsides of this as well. The four primal worldviews that we all hold and how understanding them can improve both our own quality of life and our relationships with others. And more. You can learn more about Jura's work and take a short survey to find out what your own primal worldviews are by going to myprimals.com. Okay, welcome to the show. I'm joined here with Professor Jared Clifton from the University of Pennsylvania. Um, Jared, to get started, could you maybe tell us about the experience you had in the subway in Atlanta? I think it was in 2011, and how this impacted your subsequent trajectory. That's a funny, that's a good question. So for years, I told nobody the story. And then now everyone knows the story about me and my and my secret is out. But basically, um, I was underemployed during the economic downturn of 08, 09. Um, and I was on my way to uh, one of my many jobs. And I heard a noise, heard screaming, and I looked down and suddenly there was somebody down on the subway tracks. This was in a downtown subway station in Atlanta, Georgia. And I was uh, confused and I uh, was about to jump down and get him. And then somebody on my right, like screams like, don't touch him. He's on the third rail. And so then I was like, ah, and at the time I was becoming an ACE certified personal trainer. Um, and I was doing that gig as one of my many part-time jobs. And I just went into training mode and this guy was dazed and he was like, what's going on? Why am I here? And he was dirty and nobody could touch him. And so I was right above him on the train tracks and I was yelling like, nobody can touch you. It's up to you. You can do this. Stand the fuck up. You got this. Um, and he began to move a little bit. And when he moved, he made contact with the third rail sparks. Like it's, it was like a movie, like art, arcing electricity between him and the third rail as he rides it doesn't kill him he he wakes up a little bit he looks up at me and he reaches up his hand and i was like ah! <laughs> i grabbed his hand and i pulled him up and we both got shocked a bit in the process um and i learned later on it probably wasn't the charge of the third rail itself because that would have killed us but like the like the cover of it maintains like a static charge i think but we both got shocked he came up somebody caught it on film um it blew up on youtube i had 15 minutes of fame um and that was very strange and very weird um it made me interested in psychology um 
uh, to some degree because I wasn't, I was shocked. People, to make it a new story, people had to have me as a hero. Like that was like the story. That was like the plot, right? And so they would have me on and frame it that way. But for me, I was like, this was very normal. Like, what was I going to do? Like when you reached out my hand, like I would struggle to live with myself if I was like, oh, no, thank you. You know, like, and, and I think it was, it was very normal what I did. So I began to do research on other subway heroes and um, different things like that. And I came to the realization that um, all these people who do heroic things in that sort of context are, they tend to be ex cops. They tend to be firefighters that are off duty. They tend to be, I was a lifeguard and a wilderness first responder and a fire, uh, fighter. So I did all of those things. Um, and by the way, I didn't follow my training. You're not supposed to touch someone who's in actively getting shocked. That's a dumb thing to do. Um, but I think that what it did, and it made me really comfortable to think of what I did as exceptional, because I tend to see the world as a positive place. And this might segue into the research that we're going to talk about a bit. Um, and I don't see myself as exceptional in that way. I see myself as normal. Um, and then I started to do more research. And I realized, um, do you remember the folks on flight? I think it was flight 93 on 9-11 that went down in Pennsylvania um, that didn't ma ma make it to the World Trade Center. Um, they realized what was going on and they said, okay, let's roll. And they rushed a cockpit with uh, that had been taken over by terrorists armed with guns. Um, as we presume that a number of them got shot and in the process they crashed in PA. And those people are heroes. And when you think about what they did, it'd be weird if the heroes of America happened to be all on that flight at that time. That would be bizarre. No, they were much likely a broad swath of us all. But they got the chance to like understand what was going on. Like most of us don't know what we're doing in an emergency situation just because we're never in emergency situations. It's very rare. We're not trained, et cetera. So we get out our phones because that's what we know how to do and we film stuff. Um, but those people were probably a broad swath of us all. So I feel like all of us, given enough time and enough like breathing space, will often do incredibly brave things. And in fact, are like eager to do those things. So in a way... The story <laughs> was that um, I came into it with the belief that the world's a bit of a good place. I was uncomfortable with this idea that I was exceptional. And so because I think the world is a good place, I looked for how my preconceived notion of the world was correct. I looked until I could justify my own belief and then I stopped. <laughs> and that's kind of what I think a lot of us do. Like we look to justify the beliefs we brought to the situation. And once we have enough that we feel like supports our view, we don't keep looking. Interesting. Now, whenever you were sitting there and he reached out his hand, did, did it cross your mind that, okay, I could get really seriously hurt here or I could potentially die? Did that, did that cross your mind before you did oh, it? Oh, totally. I mean, like three seconds before that, I had seen the sparks arching through his body. Like, 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 cause it like it, that happened. And then he like woke up and he looked up at me cause I had been yelling at him and I was right above him. Um, and there were other people around. I think another person had like jumped down into the tracks, but was like not w willing to touch him. But I was like right above him and he was on his back looking up. Um, but yeah, if someone in a really tough spot locks eyes with you and reaches out a hand for help could you could you live with yourself saying oh no 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 <laughs> um um so i thought i could get shocked but also too like he had just been shocked really really bad and clearly was still alive so but i didn't think of that at the time i was just like ah and like grabbed his hand well i think you should be commended for it because it was a courageous act um oh, thank you so so your research chair focuses on these things called primal word beliefs. Can you tell us what these are and why are these so important for everybody to understand? Good question. <laughs> um, 
Primal world beliefs. So I'm trying to use this as a technical term. So beliefs are mental representations of what's real. Uh, they're world beliefs. So they're uh, beliefs about the world as a whole as one big place. That is not predefined per se, um, because um, the relevant world to people can vary um, depending on if you're a busy single mom, maybe only thinking about like work, your kids, your church, and just like a very small world, then it might be smaller. It might be though, um, perhaps in the future when we live on Mars and the moon and earth and there's space stations with people in it, the world could include all that. And the world before we knew about the globe as a species could have been smaller in different ways. Um, so it's not about the earth. It's about uh, the universe that is at all relevant to you <laughs> as you define it. So that's a world belief. And then it's a primal world belief. And the term primal refers to how fundamental and basic the qualities are that are being ascribed to the world. So the most basic thing. So this is not the world is composed of chemical elements. This is not the world was made by God. This is not... Um, 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 abstract beliefs like that, um, they are, and not to say those aren't important, but a primal belief is the belief that the world is dangerous, that there is likely to be threat or less likely to be threat. It's a belief the world is uh, interesting, um, that if you picked out a random person, do you expect them to be an interesting person to talk to or a boring person to talk to? Um, is the world a beautiful place? Is it an abundant place versus barren? Um, these are extremely, these are qualities that are extremely important to us um, and intersect with our needs, but they are beliefs about the world and not about us. Interesting. Now, everything, each one of the beliefs that you listed there, the thing that I noticed that they all have in common is that they subsequently influence how we act if I believe that people are interesting, I act very differently towards them than if I believe people are boring. If I believe the world is beautiful, I engage very differently with it than I would if I believed it was dull, for example. So is that something that you would you found? Is that something that you'd agree with? Or would you have any other comments about that? Yes. Yeah, so the idea is that any belief that you have about anyone or anything influences ambiguity about that topic. So uh, let's say I have a belief that academics are assholes. So if I tend to believe that academics are assholes, you might, when you're first meeting an academic, you are 5%, 10%, I'm not sure what number to put on it, but you're that much more likely to interpret any given thing that the academic does that I do as an indication that they're a snob, that they're looking down on you, etc. Um, if you have the expectation, the belief that academics are curious and humble, you might be 5, 10, 15% more likely to uh, think of the things that I do or any given academic that you meet as, um, um, as yeah, being humble, likable, etc. The powerful thing about a primal world belief is that it is a filter that we use theoretically, and there's still a lot of research to be done on this, but the theory is that it is a filter that you use to interpret everything that you ever encounter because you can never leave the world. And so maybe in any given situation, it only impacts your interpretation, 5%, 10%, 20%. That is systematic difference that across situations and across time can add up to a massive difference in well-being and how we behave. And what I get, like I'm pumped up now, like I just got chills now because what's exciting about primal world beliefs is that because their beliefs about a situation, th this is important, because their beliefs about a situation that you can never leave, many of us don't even realize that we have them because we can never observe ourselves or observe each other outside of the situation where the belief is relevant. So like if you were scared of dogs, Niall, and I was around you 
with a dog, I could be like, oh, Niall is a pretty freaked out guy. He's an angsty guy. He's a fearful guy. But then I just observe you in a context where there is no dogs. I'm like, oh, no, he's just scared of dogs. He just thinks that dogs are dangerous. If you see the world as dangerous, there is no place where I can observe you where you will not systematically respond to to any possibility of threat a little bit more than I think you should. And then I'll come away with it thinking, oh, Niall, he's an angsty and fearful guy. When really, Niall might be a pretty calm, chillax guy who also happens for various different reasons, sees the world as an objectively dangerous place. Um, and so it, it it is a recipe for fundamentally misunderstanding each other because we don't realize the relevant world beliefs that each other have. They're, uh, we're blind to them. When you're having conversations with people, let's say you're in a taxi or an Uber or getting your hair cut or whatever, are you quite good now at being able to identify what people's primals are? I imagine this makes it quite interesting just to, to speak with people. I think it's fair to say, <laughs> speaking of talking about academics being talky, um, it's fair to say that I'm one of the world's experts on these beliefs, right? Like, like I've studied them for a long time. I've looked at correlational tables. I've thought about it a ton. In fact, I would argue that maybe no one has thought about it as much as I have, um, or no one is a nerd about this as much as I have. Perhaps I could go that far. I reliably get it wrong reliably get it wrong so so the thing is is that so for instance so there's 26 of these beliefs and we should talk at some point about where they uh, how we found them all but um there's 26 of the, these beliefs but one of the main one is the belief the world is a dangerous versus a safe place like that's a continuum uh that's a dimension of one belief so that belief core correlates with a lot of things that you would expect that it should. So you tend to, if you see the world as dangerous, you tend not to trust people as much. You tend to be a little bit more fearful. You tend to be more introverted. Um, um, and, uh, and, 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 in a whole bunch of different ways, but those R's are 0 0.4, 0 0.5, 0 0.3, sometimes a 0.6, but, but those R's like, that's like, um, 36% of the variation or less. So I can get clues from all these personality things and what people do and whatnot. Um, but the problem is, is that personality can come from a lot of different sources. Behavior can come from a lot of different sources. And yeah, I can just be straight up wrong. So the big way that I was straight up wrong is that my own mother is an extrovert. She is outgoing. She's a risk taker. I thought she would see the world as a safe place. She does not. She sees it as a quite dangerous place. Like my own mother, to find out the main, a major primal world belief of my own mother, she had to take my survey at myprimals.com that everyone who's listening to this podcast should take. She had to take my survey, the scale that we spent years trying to create, and send me her results. And I was like, oh shit, you see the world is dangerous. And suddenly it made sense of a lot of things. Um, when she comes to visit me, she tends to be quite concerned. I've tended to live in mildly sketchy or very sketchy parts of town. Um, she tends to be a little bit suspicious of uh, when she meets people for the first time and stuff like that. Um, but then quickly warms up and then is gregarious. So it made a lot of sense. But in that case, the primal kind of counteracts, I think, her natural disposition. Position, such that you and I looking at her from the outside could not make good guesses about what they believe. And that's why I think it's so important for people to take the survey. Because if I can't do it very well, you're screwed. Like you don't have a hope. <laughs> but ha having said that, I'm sure that when I like, if I were to list the primals to you, like right away, you would be right about a lot of people. You'll be like, oh, my uncle totally sees the world as a funny place. He thinks that everything like around every corner there's like a joke to be made or there's something funny going on. Like, oh, I got a friend who totally sees the world as a safe place. So they're like, oh, it's probably fine. It's probably fine. And and I guess we are usually right about those, but we can be totally and profoundly wrong. And it's really hard to guess. Amazing. Okay. So I've got a challenge for everybody listening to this. Um, go to the, what's the, what's the survey link? www.myprimals.com.
And then there's a there's a, a book uh, there's a page that says take the survey and and you click that and then there's three survey options. There's a 99 question one that takes about 15 minutes and that's like the deep dive. You get a full report about how your beliefs compared to the average person and you can be like, oh, I thought I saw the world as a pretty safe place, but I'm actually average uh, or something like that. Um, or you can take an 18 question version if you are short on time and that will give you the overall beliefs that the world is good, safe, enticing, and alive. Or you can take a really short six question version that's just the belief the world is good. So depending on how much time you have, 15, five minutes or one minute, uh, go and take the survey. Okay, take the survey and then post your results, like the main points from your results on the on the comments below in the YouTube video. I'd love to see you know what people are kind of showing up for, particularly in this this community. So uh, I did it myself. I did the the five minute one. Um, okay, and I you know I got my results there. I'll just quickly read these out. Cool. See if see if word belief four point six seven, enticing word belief four point four three, a live word belief four point eight. Overall good, good word belief, 4.6. So I don't know what that means, but I think, are they, what would your comments on that be, Jer? Okay, so Niall, you see the world as a very positive place. Like very, you are across the board. So um, there's, you can think of, there's an overarching belief that the world is a good place. Um, and there's a bunch of other uh, primal world, world belief. We call them uh, primals for short, um, instead of like PWBs or something like that. But um, there's an overarching primal, which is the belief the world is good. There's essentially three reasons one can have to see the world as good, which is safe, enticing, and alive. Safe is what you think it is. Enticing is... Um, um, the belief the world's a beautiful, interesting, worth exploring, abundant place versus meaningless, boring, dull, etc. And then alive is kind of the weird one. Um, alive is the world is full of intention um, and purpose that is interacting with you, communicating with you. It needs your help for an important task. So that one you can see is related to uh, spirituality. People who are more religious tend to believe this. But what's very interesting is that plenty, plenty of non-religious people who actively believe there is no God, totally, like I uh, give the ex example of, um, like, I know a ton of atheists who think that like, oh, um, I was going to go out on a picnic, but it rains. This is a sign from the universe that I should call my mother and make up for the fight that we had last week. Like, like folks who are going through life interpreting the world through a personal lens, um, as like interacting with them, uh, somehow. And what's interesting about like academics is that they tend to, uh, score a little lower on the belief the world is safe, higher on enticing and very low on alive. So you don't have like a classic academic profile, mainly because you scored so high on alive. Um, but yeah, I mean, but but your primals are very positive. So it's presumably a resource for um, um, well-being for when you, we just found out that some of these beliefs when a trauma or uh, or maybe I wouldn't go that far, but when a negative event happens, it's hard. It's of course hard. Um, but these positive world beliefs can buffer its effects and be like, well, it's a setback. Well, like I'll get back on my feet. Well, this isn't going to happen again and again and again. Um, and so you tend to look on um, a more optimistic side. And then the other thing, Niall, that you should keep in mind now that you know what your beliefs are, is that you have you're like in the top like 10 to 5% positive beliefs on all three. So you are an outlier. So when you meet most people, most people are going to see the world as a lot less positively than you. Um, and you might at times, um, or someone with your scores, I'm not saying you, but at times you might be like, why are you so like down on this possibility. Like, like I could do a podcast that thousands of people listen to. And you say it to a parent who might not see the world as good as you. And they're like, Oh, I don't know if that's going to work. And you're like, why wouldn't it work? The world's a good place. So like you might 
struggle at times to understand why people are just down on ideas and possibilities and stuff because a lot of these will work out, right? Um, but what did you think of your scores? Like, did it help you make sense of your own life or what did you think? I think it, 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 sort of bridging on, on your last point, it helped me understand maybe the gap between myself and other people, like people I would, you know, uh, like family members or whatever that might not have the same word beliefs and then understand it. Oh, okay. So that's why um, they might not be as excited about things as I am. Like I, they might not see that this, this ordinary everyday situation isn't um, as, potentially magical as as it can be you know like things like that and i think that's a very it can make you a lot more empathetic towards people and if you realize that someone is going around with the fundamental assumption that we live in a dull meaningless mechanistic universe you know it's probably not um it's probably not going to lead to the i don't know the, the the best kind of days does that make sense yeah yeah no so people who see the world as really positive are like why aren't you excited about this like this could be really great <laughs> you know um um so for instance so uh postdoc at the primals project uh dr nick carey he uh just did this cool study where um he looked at a whole bunch of how people make guesses as to uh the likely of the likelihood of a threat and he found that across all sorts of different threat uh, assessments from how many murders there are from the number of bear attacks. Um, people who see the world as a dangerous place just tend to, um, overestimate those threats more. Um, and he showed that neutral faces, if you encounter a neutral face, uh, people who see the world as a dangerous pl place are more likely to see anger in that face or to think that that person used to be a criminal. So, so it's, it's correlationally speaking, like Niall, you're, going through life slightly less likely to suspect of people as criminals <laughs> um, and as against you. Right. So like, um, so a lot of the times, um, so I have a funder actually right now and I'm waiting on them to tell me news about a grant that I applied for. And I'm talking to colleagues. It's a big grant. We put a lot of work into it. Are we going to get it? My grant officer isn't responding to me. What does that mean? So that's ambiguity, right? When you really don't know. And if you're Niall, you're like, oh, I bet, you know, I guess, I mean, there's a good chance that they're busy. You know, like most of the time people are busy. Um, but people who see the world as dangerous can take counsel of their fears more and be like, oh, no, it's an indication that they have lost interest. They don't care about the project um, anymore and so on and so forth. Um, and right now that looks just correlationally true. Like we need to do more research to show that really the primal causes the perceptions, but it's consistent with like, um, for instance, cognitive behavior, behavioral therapy is the most widespread form of psychotherapy that there is. It's the gold standard, blah, blah, blah. It's based on the idea that generalized beliefs impact outcomes. So we haven't showed yet that primals are among those beliefs that in, uh, impact outcomes, um, but we have every expectation that they do. And the question is how much, to what degree, when do they not, and so on and so forth. Cool. Now, this, something came to mind there as you were speaking. Um, whenever like you're waiting on someone for like to respond to an email or maybe you're waiting on your grant or whatever, we have a tendency to basically attribute malice in those situations that person's like trying to screw me over whatever and yeah. one of the most helpful kind of mental shortcuts i ever heard like in the, the i heard it listening to shane parish's audiobook like years ago i think it's called like hanlon's razor and it's just basically in those situations always give the benefit of the, the benefit of the doubt always just assume that the person is busy they're going through a difficult time or whatever and that there can save you so much like mental torment you know that's something to keep the mind away but i wanted to ask you now about well but 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 to that point i think that Niall, most people like have that assumption and they want to give you the benefit of of the doubt but your primals allow you to do that more often than people who see the world as a dark and dang 
juror's place. Um, now, the thing is, is that if it was really important for you to realize that this person isn't interested anymore, and there was a big cost of you being slow to understand that the threat is real, like maybe that could hurt you. Um, uh, but usually there's not. Um, and that's like actually a deeper discussion about like, um, are there times that, you know, seeing the world as a bad place is actually helpful. But anyway. Tell me about belief in a just world and what this is and how uh, ubiquitous this is and uh, maybe the good points of it, but also the bad points as well. Yeah. So it's very important that listeners understand um, I did not, and my colleagues did not make up the idea that we have these beliefs about the world as a whole as one big place. What we did, the big thing that we did is that we said, what about the other beliefs? So a handful of these beliefs had been studied and we sought to empirically and systematically map them all, not based on our uh, opinions, but uh, the data. But before my time and our time, the main primal world belief that had been studied by far uh, is uh, belief in a just world. So this is um, Melvin Lerner, 1980. He proposed that people have this sense that um, the world is a place where outcomes are generally fair or generally unfair. And he was specifically interested in prejudice and blaming. Um, so he thought if people see the world as a fair place, well, if you're poor, well, then you didn't work very hard. Or you tend to be like, ah, maybe you didn't, you know, study hard in school or something like that. Um, if you're sick, well, then maybe you weren't taking care of yourself. Stop drinking those Cokes and, you know, eat a piece of broccoli or something. Um, and so on and so forth. And that bore out that um, belief in a just world is tied to blaming victims. Um, and if you see the world as a more just place, you tend to blame victims more. But what um, uh, Lerner didn't expect is that uh, it's also tied to a whole bunch of good things. Um, so if you see the world as a just place, you tend to work hard. Because you have a general expectation that in a karmic world, what goes around comes around and that will come back to you somehow. Don't be an asshole in a just world. So people who see the world as a just place tend to be nicer because if you're a jerk, like that's going to come back at you somehow like like and and and, and i'm not saying it's just selfish it's just it's just common sense like don't be a jerk on the roadway like that's just not what belief in a just world people um are as quick to do and they tend to be more successful and happy um i'm sure if you've had a teacher who was like you felt quite unfair in the classroom like just like being in that classroom can feel sad. <laughs> it's not fun to be in any context where you feel like the rules aren't fair, where outcomes aren't fair. Um, and also too, people want a post hoc justification sometimes for the success that they already have. Um, um, so belief in a just world is tied to all of these good things that we want, um, but it's also tied to kind of blaming victims. Um, and that's also amongst the victims themselves. So, so amongst um, um, actually not sure if I remember this study, right. I, I think it was actually um, amongst both men and women, they tend to see women who are victims of sexual assault as more likely to have deserved it for some reason, which I'm sure for some people in the audience is like really and frustrating and angry and terrible idea but just to get the sense that like people who see the world as just tend to just think a little bit that people may have deserved their outcomes and it's not like a monolithic view um you just tend to see it as a little bit more likely so that this belief if you hold it it does come with a lot of benefits but a major potential downside is that whenever something bad happens in your life or something dark like someone being abused or something got there then those individuals in those situations will tend towards seeing okay so how might i have caused this and in a lot of cases they might have nothing to do with it but that's just the way they're wired so would you say like 
can you almost like pick and choose which you which elements you take with these primals or is it like you take the whole package so one of the my research is largely based on an assumption that if you get rid of the nuance and you just get at people's beliefs about the average tendency of existence is that important and predictive um and we find that yes it is important and predictive like your average tendency so even if you broke down the belief to certain sub topics within the world the overarching belief the primal still matters but i think it's really important to note that it's entirely possible and even likely that our primal world beliefs break down into lots of different subtopics that can be more or less adaptive for us. And the reason why I think that is just one, because it makes sense. And also because uh, belief in a just world research a while ago uh, made this distinction between the world is a just place for me versus the world is a just place for other people. And now what, what I like about this idea is that that doesn't make sense. Like for the world to be like, it's a karmic world when it comes to you only, <laughs> but for other people, it's not. Um, and, um, but what they found is that those two do really split out. Um, and so people can go through life thinking that the world is a just place for me. And when that happens, you tend to get the positive benefits of just world belief, but without the victim blaming. And when you see the world as a just place for other people, you tend to get the positive benefits of, um, um, well, you tend to avoid the negative uh, consequences of judging other people, like for the bad things that occur in their life. What's interesting is that I don't know if even in someone's own life, if you see the world as a just place and you lose your job, The belief in the just world would presumably like make you think that you're slightly more likely to think that you deserve to lose your job. That's true. But it also makes you more likely to think that you can get a new one. Or that people will help you or that um, this isn't the end of the world. This isn't the end of the line, you know? So like, I think that like, I don't think the net effect of belief in a just world when a bad thing happens to you is to blame yourself. In fact, I think it actually makes you resilient um, to bad things because you don't think, um, be, be, because essentially in a just world, you have more control. In an unjust world, you have no control. You can't control your outcomes. Um, so I think it actually makes you a little bit more resilient when bad things happen. An interesting study today might be to like look at the cor if there's any correlation between locus of control and that belief. You know, and that could oh, be. Oh, there worse. is, there is. Okay. Yeah, we've uh, we've looked at that, and 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 in fact, belief in a just world. So what's interesting is that belief in a just world had been studied. Belief in a competitive world had been somewhat studied, and belief that the world is a dangerous place has been somewhat studied. But all of those actually cluster with each other. Um, and with like locus of control and these things and this idea of the belief as in, in this overall belief that the world is a safe versus a dangerous place. And so that was one of the findings that we had is that like, oh, almost all of these beliefs that we looked at had to do with control and control against threat. And the big one that had been missing, and it's partly why I uh, work at the Positive Psych Center um, and I feel very comfortable there at Penn is because the big like continent of primal world beliefs that had not been studied was enticing world belief. So this is the belief that the world's a beautiful and interesting and funny and meaningful place as opposed to the opposite of all those. And almost no, none of those beliefs had been studied. Um, and those beliefs are just as predictive of well-being as the belief the world is safe. Like, so I talk a lot about the belief the world is a safe place versus a dangerous place and a just place versus an unjust place, but that's partly just so that people understand what primals are, but they're not necessarily the most important. In fact, like if I had to pick like, um, pe people can be, can cling to the idea that the world is a dangerous place if they believe it. People aren't as, interested in clinging to the idea that the universe is ugly.
So, so there might be actually more room to change these primal world beliefs when it comes to enticing and all of the primals involved in that one. To me, that's really interesting. So we've got the, you know, these primals, like we've got it, the world is either a safe or dangerous place. It's either a beautiful or a dull place or it's either alive or it's mechanistic. And are we saying that if you can find some way to positively shift one of these elements, they're all, they're all interrelated and connected. So if I shift the enticing one, then that could maybe help me feel, I could also shift the safe one and the alive one as well. Is that, are we, are we saying that, that there's like a, these are like a web more than a things that aren't connected? <clears throat> I don't know. Um, so one of the big problems in belief in a just world literature and previous primal world belief stuff is that um, people kind of assumed that these beliefs couldn't be changed. And so we didn't really try. And so we actually don't have great interventions yet. So this to me is like the big, the big next thing. Like, so, so, so the, so the, the belief the world is good core relates with well-being at an R of 0.6 typically. And so to like put that in context, that's like as much as the correlation between um, surface temperature on the planet and how far away you are from the equator. Like it's huge. Um, like this correlation is really big such that if much of this is causally related then if I could change someone's belief that the world's a shithole to the belief the world is good, there could be not just a little bit of change in well-being, but a dramatic shift. And in general, psychological interventions isn't that impactful, frankly. Like the best that we have is helpful, but it doesn't routinely transform people. Like that could not be said. Um, and so what's exciting about primal world beliefs research is not as much what's been done so far, but what it could mean um, for intervention research down the road. And we believe strongly that primals can be changed and that we just haven't changed them yet. So I am a big fan of like people, it's silly to claim that a mountain can't be climbed because no one has climbed it yet. No, no one has climbed it yet, but we're going to, we're, we are going to climb it. And when we do, we're going to find out what all of these beliefs do. And one of the things that we want to know is exactly what you said. When you change the belief the world is safe, does enticing go up? So uh, um, again, uh, Dr. Carey had this idea that um, maybe um, if you changed, if you increase the belief that the world is safe, then that would automatically tend to increase the belief the world is enticing because um, when you can't do something, you tend to discount its value. That's like a typical thing that we do. Like I remember um, I had a friend who didn't get into an honors program that they applied to and they were super pumped up about it. And then when they didn't get in, they were telling me about, well, the honors program wasn't very good and like stuff like that. So if you see the world as dangerous, then you don't wanna feel bad about like not exploring it as much. And so you might tend to discount its value. Well, it's probably not likely to be interesting and whatnot anyway so maybe there is a sense that if you change that that maybe safe world belief is a fulcrum and if you change that the other ones will change i tend to believe that they're pretty separate though um and i think to change a primal you have to get in there and change that specific belief and in fact i wouldn't even start with safe enticing or alive or even good um i would get down into the more gritty um, and the more specific level and in fact, uh, we just ran a study um, that did find that one of the tertiary primals did change in a, um, a controlled experiment. And uh, we want to replicate it before we talk too much about it. But the effects were quite ex 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 exciting. And we failed to change these beliefs now in several studies. Again, uh, not and we don't our takeaway is not that we can't change them but that we just haven't figured out how to do yet and we began with the most useless interventions like reflect for five minutes about how beautiful the world is and yeah that doesn't really change people's beliefs we need more in-depth interventions and i suspect in the long run we're going to have a great response to your question and we'll even probably have like um, if you want to see the world as an overall good place if you want to increase your good world belief 
Um, and if you don't know which belief to start or you send to score like a 2.5 on them all, like you're, you tend to be in the middle on all of them, you might want to start with X belief because that maybe tends to be a gateway belief that has a cascading effect on the others, but we don't know which one that is yet. Okay. That's interesting. Um, right. So I, something I was curious to ask her was how did it influence you growing up with a stutter? And am I right in saying that you viewed this as a superpower? And if that's the case, why did you view it as, as a superpower? Well, thanks for the question. I actually just realized like, and most of the time when I do podcasts, um, I talk about it at the beginning. So people don't have to be confused as to what I'm doing, but my speech has gotten better such that sometimes now when I explain at the beginning of a talk or whatever that I stutter and then I don't stutter enough, which are like, what are you like a kid that grew up fat and still thinks of yourself as fat, even though you're not like you don't stutter, man. Um, but I do still stutter. So, so I don't know if some of the listeners know, but um, Joe Biden stutters. And when I first heard that, I was like, no, he doesn't. He just kind of misspeaks and people all the time, like think that stut stuttering is misspeaking. Um, but it's not, it's very different. Um, and he talked about like what, um, is going on internally when he stutters. And then I was like, oh my goodness. Yeah. You totally stutter. And you're like me. So folks like me and president Biden, we know what words we're going to get stuck on beforehand. So we're constantly playing games to talk around them. So even in this conversation, like I stuttered a bit, but for every time I stuttered, maybe five other times, I saw beforehand what word in the sentence I was going to get stuck on. And then I was playing games to not get stuck. And so I tell my friends, like, if I could just say what I wanted to say, you would think I'm brilliant. But I'm not just thinking about what I want to say. I think I'm trying to think about how to say what I'm saying without stuttering. Um, and so I have to. Um, and what it did, though, is that, um, I mean, for me, so a lot of stutterers, like you'll see a stutterer who like, has ticks and sometimes they help like they'll like j -j 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 jeremy you know and they'll do that or something like that um for me i'll uh elongate my vowel sounds so i'll say my name is jeremy um, and that's why i go by jer and not jeremy because i stutter on my name so i'll elongate my vowel sounds you'll see me tapping on my chest um because what i do when i get stuck i might turn it into a rap I might turn it into a rap and that will allow me to get through a word. Um, like I'll give it a beat, but it's such a short little rap phrase that my audience just thinks I'm like, just might not tell. So I'm playing all these fuck, fuck, fuck games as I go through uh, my talk. But what it did allow me to do as a kid, because my stutter used to be a lot worse, is that it forced me to have an idea of what words mean. So I think a lot of us go through life using words as a placeholder for meaning and may not know what may not have a concrete visualized imagined conception of like a noun that's quick and on the draw and that they can describe in different ways super super fast um, so just then, by the way, I was going to say super duper fast and I was like, super, super fast, <laughs> you know, like, so it's just like stuff like that. Um, and, um, so, and what's amazing about that is that it will reveal to you when you don't know what something means. So I was a philosophy major in college. And I remember I was talking to somebody about free will and I was, um, debating some point about it. And I was going to stutter on free will. I stutter on R sounds a lot like liquids. And I tried to talk around free will. And I was like, and I just stopped. And I was like, I don't know what free will is. Like, what are we talking about? Like, what is like, this is a placeholder for meaning that I thought I had an idea of what it means, but I actually don't. And then that like caused me to go away and to really th think about it. So, so I think it made me a more disciplined thinker. And it also forced me to use smaller words because I tend to stutter on bigger words. Um, and so that impacts my academic prose and whatnot, because I'm much more comfortable in informal settings and smaller words. And it turns out that um, um, I studied with Marty Seligman as my PhD advisor, and he's like this big, famous psychologist. I'm, I'm sure you've heard of him. Um, and he uh, um, trains people 
like he gets the smartest people with perfect GRE scores from Princeton to study with. And he has to like untrain their verbosity and be like, no, just say what you mean. Like an academic paper that like collapses into big words and um, that only a fraction of even academics can understand is much less impactful as like, like rigorous uh, papers, but just spoken in plain English. And that's true of like the law, um, like a lawyer who can describe their ideas in plain English is much better at convincing a jury of things than a lawyer who can't. So it may be a better thinker and I think a better communicator because I have to use small words or else I'll get stuck. <laughs> now, something that I'm also curious to ask, I'll, I'll give a bit of context here. I got type 1 diabetes when I was six, right? Whoa. And when I was young, my parents told me, they were like, this is going to be the best thing that ever happens to you because it means you're going to really have to look after your health. You're going to exercise regularly. You're going to be a lot healthier than your friends. And that kind of became a self-fulfilling prophecy in my life, right? Now, honestly, if you told me, if you told me, like, you can go back to six now and you're going to choose to have diabetes or not, what do you do? I would honestly... If I like, be dead serious, I would say yes. I want the diabetes because really? it had so many downstream benefits. So I'm, I wanted to ask you about your stutter. Would you, if someone went back before you were born and said, "Do you want to stutter or not?" What would you say? First off, your parents sound cool. That's a really good way to frame it <laughs> to to uh, you as a six year old. Like, and and I could totally see that. Like, it forced you to be very conscientious about taking care of your health your whole life. Um, I don't think I would do that. Um, I think a stutter. There used to be something and my, it was a label I gave to it and it might be offensive to say, but what the hell um, I and my family used to call it Jer's time of the month um, where I would come up with a joke and couldn't get out the punchline right. I knew the joke was gonna kill, but instead it just flops and nobody laughs. I had a point I wanted to make in class. I would raise my hand, I would make the point, but I couldn't say, I remember in class on citizenship and Aristotle and Germany immigration. Those were the topics. <laughs> And I couldn't say any of them. And I was talking around them and I couldn't make my points well and people couldn't understand what I was saying. And these like pent up inability to articulate what I was doing um, led to a lot of frustration um, and was very emotional because essentially a stutter is the inability to articulate yourself well um, and to make yourself feel understood and feel heard. And even though like it had these effects, it was also just painful. It, it's hard to feel like people aren't interacting with your ideas, but the crappy version of what you had to say to get your ideas across without stuttering. Um, and that I think like it had, it, it was my superpower. And in a way, maybe the world wouldn't want me to go back to do it because it made me better in a lot of ways. But um, I remember um, I had a good, a good friend. I think he's been on your show, uh, David Yaden. Um, he asked me this question and he totally would like, dude, if I, if my kid had a stutter, I think that would be awesome. And, and assumed, I think that I would say yes, me too. And cause my little girl, I have a girl who's four and for a little bit, she began to stutter like a lot of young kids. And I was like, no, I wouldn't want my kid to stutter because it's just a painful way to grow up. Um, you don't feel understood um, and you cry a lot more. <laughs> so if it was something that you could control, um, um, and, and I'm sure that at times the diabetes like got out of control and was like a problem at different times, but it's, but it's not the sort of thing that I could just control and learn from and move on from that. It just like made me feel chronically misunderstood. And there's a lot of pain that goes with that. Right. I, I can't imagine how hard that would be, but I really appreciate your honest answer there. You know, oh, sure. that was cool. That's cool. Um, can you tell me about your grandfather, um, his work as a, as a combat dentist in World War II? 
and also the story of Sarah, the Auschwitz survivor, the contrast between them and what this says about our primals. Yes. So um, my work is just like gets enough public attention. Like it's just famous enough where I'm starting to get like attacked on Twitter for things um, like and a lot of it is like. Like, yeah, your research shows that like seeing the world is a good place tends to be good for you. Um, that's nice for you, white male from. I'm sure who's gone through like a trauma-free background and has plenty of money and um, is wealthy. Um, and it's a good question, right? Like our positive world beliefs reflect having led a positive life. Um, and so we've done a lot of research on that. Um, and I have, it's just really interesting. I have a personal connection with two people who uh went through world world war ii one is my granddad in law um and he was a combat dentist uh in world war ii now if you think of a frontline combat dentist you're not working with someone who gets shot in the arm you're working with someone whose face has been mangled um demolished and you're trying to piece what exists back together and you don't have the tools for it and you're doing the best you can and people are scarred for life and just what you've gone through it's just insane Right. And he came back from the war and struggled with su substance abuse and whatnot. Um, and he was in a lot of ways, I think, a really hard dad to my dad in law. Um, and he had this phrase. And of course, people didn't know about primals at the time, but he had this phrase that he would teach his son. And the phrase was um, life's a shit sandwich and you just took your first bite. And that phrase seemingly is to indicate like it's going to be hard. Life is really hard. So when it gets hard, no, like get ready, get prepared because there's a lot more coming. You know, and he, I think, genuinely wanted to teach his son to get ready, get ready to go into a shitty world and to make the best of it. Um, and that was... I think that was an act of love. And so when, um, and my dad-in-law then said that same phrase to my wife growing up, um, life's a shit sandwich and you just took your first bite when something bad would happen. Um, and, and it was kind of though a bit ironic. Um, now that my dad-in-law knows my research and he's taken my survey and we've had conversations and he's, his, primals have actually changed somewhat but he still thought of it as something positive to do for your children to prepare them to go out into a really bad world um so i had that story and a clear story of like we thought that my dad my grandpa-in-law had a like because of his experience in world war ii he thought this right like the story makes a lot of sense but then there's this other story. Um, I got to tour in college. I was in a choir that was pretty good. And we toured the Baltic States. Um, it was about 50 of us singing at cathedrals and whatnot. And our tour guide was an old lady named Sarah. And Sarah, <clears throat> and Sarah was super cool. She was like the person like you, like the whole group, like wanted to get to know better, but you could only like one could sit by her on the bus at a time, you know? Um, and we were all like, oh, Sarah. Um, but I got my chance in this like the basement, um, it was like a catacomb-ish basement to a restaurant with like brick pillars that candles were on with like the wax coming down it, um, little tables, there's big kegs of like wine stored on the side um, and it's candle lit. And I remember talking to her and my question for her was actually, um, uh, do you believe in God was my question for her. She had said some things and I was just curious. Um, and she told me the story um, about uh, she is Jewish. Uh, she's Polish. Um, when the Nazis and Stalin carved up Poland at the very beginning of the war, um, they she went to concentration camps and she went to three of them and she ended up in Auschwitz. 
And Auschwitz, for those who don't know, is like the biggest concentration camp that there was. Um, the most people died there. They're the place that they had the the um, the biggest ovens and stuff like that. And she was there for years. Um, Christmas Eve, I believe it was 1944. It was the last Christmas before the end of the war. Um, they don't know that. They've just been in concentration camps for this point for years with like no clear end in sight, seeing people die. Um, her family, most of her family was dead at that point. And she's a little girl by herself in Auschwitz in the infirmary. So where sick people in Auschwitz go on Christmas Eve. And she was lying in a cot and she reached um, and there was a little girl lying next to her. And they said something like, oh, it's Christmas. And they reached across the cot and they held hands. And she said that that's when I knew that what is beautiful and meaningful in the world is so immense and so crushing that no Nazis, nobody even has a chance to stamp it out. And there had to be a God to account for all this beauty. Gosh. Um, and for me, that story was really helpful in my research because I think a lot of us don't want to see the world as a good place. Like they, like, like we hold ourselves back because out of solidarity of people who've had a rough time. Um, and so many of us are, are very, can tell stories about like the bad things we've gone through and how that informed our beliefs. Um, my granddad, like, I don't want to, crap on the legacy of my granddad, like, and be like, oh, well, you should have seen the world as a good place. And like, and I feel privileged. Am, am I just a privileged white male or are you a privileged white male that we get to see the world as a better place than other people? Um, but Sarah gave me license to think about the possibility that maybe not all people who have been through the worst things in the world <laughs> um, have to see the world as bad. Um, and so we did research to see does do your primals reflect your background in a reliable way? Um, does the belief the world is dangerous reflect living in a high crime zip code, uh, reflect a history of trauma? Does seeing the world as a barren place reflect having grown up poor or living poor now? We had 12 different high uh, hypotheses like this. Do women see the world as a more dangerous place than men? Um, and we polled 500 researchers and 500 lay persons. Um, to see what their predictions would be on all these 12 different uh, um, relationships. And basically people expected pretty big effects. Like if you see the world as a good place, basically uh, they thought it would reveal that you've led an, a good life, a privileged life. Um, and it's really important, I think, for the audience to understand, For it was important for me to understand, all of us were wrong. Like if I know that Niall, you see the world as a good place. I know little to nothing about how privileged of a life you had led, you you have left, lived. I don't know if you're rich. Um, you are marginally more likely to have experienced uh, more trauma. Um, I don't know even if you're male or female, uh, just on the basis of your uh, primals. I don't know... Um, if you live in a wealthy neighborhood or a poor one, but all of us had the intuitions that those relationships should be strong. Now, now we don't know what that means yet um, uh, per se, because we just found tiny or no core relations. And that doesn't mean that we can conclude a ton, but we are systematically wrong about how much primals reflect our backgrounds. And to me, that's exciting because that means that Primals come from us somehow. Like they, your primals, Niall, come from you somehow. And it could mean that we have a lot more control over our primals than we think. So my guess is that my granddad probably, statistically, <laughs> saw the world as a pretty shitty place before he went to combat. And that he told a story over himself to some degree and that reinforced that belief. And my guess is that Sarah began the Holocaust with pretty positive beliefs. Um, 
And what's so weird about these beliefs, like now we know that COVID-19, when the world became objectively more dangerous, we've done studies now showing that the belief the world is a dangerous place did not increase. Like these beliefs are quite resistant to just the experience. They don't just simply reflect what you go through. They seem to be more like lenses we use to interpret. And so those two stories to me really are stark relief that you can go through the worst things in life. And that doesn't force you to see the world as a shithole. Um, and likewise, you can go through the best things <laughs> and also see the world as a shithole. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, I think that's a great note to to end on, Jura. This has been an absolutely fascinating conversation. So thank you so much for sharing some of your wisdom with us. And for anybody that wants to follow up with you after this or anybody that wants to learn more about your work, where would you point them to after this conversation? Well, um, I would encourage them to, of course, take the survey at myprimals.com, um, read the report and digest their scores. And also, I find it super useful to encourage your friends and family to take the scale too, and then you can compare results. Um, that's like, a lot of times when people get their own scores back, they're like, oh yeah, I mean, that's my view of the world. It makes sense that I see the world this way. I thought I saw the world this way. But then you get the results back of like your partner. And you thought that they were like a fearful person and they actually just see the world as a dangerous place or something like that. But the odds are is that it can give you pretty profound insight onto like how certain interpersonal relationships have been hard. So I would totally recommend people digest their scores and then get a friend to take it or a family member to take it. Um, and there too, you can sign up for a newsletter. Like Primal's research um, as a field is only like five years old. And there's 45 active studies going on around the world. There's a study of 10,000 Swedish twins. We're going to find out how much, um, uh, how heritable these beliefs are. There's studies in 10 different countries. Like there's all this cool stuff going on. And probably the best way to like stay informed as to what we find is to just sign up for our newsletter, uh, which we send out like twice a year. And, 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 and it's just like, here's the most recent, research and some digestible digestible summaries of that work so i think that's probably the best way at this point for um uh most people to just stay informed about the research cool okay well Jer, i think it's incredibly important work that you're doing so i want to wish you the best going forward keep going and i hope we can have another conversation maybe in a year's time or whatever whenever your as your research evolves I, you know i'd love to just touch base all right so all the best awesome. and we'll Let's talk soon all right, thanks now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoyed the show. If you'd like to hear the full version, you can do so with the Weekend University Premium Membership. This gets you access to our master library of over five years of psychology conferences, including over 230 talks and interviews with the world's leading psychologists, professors, and authors, unlimited CPD certification, transcripts, quizzes, premium passes for our annual conference, online courses with Richard Schwartz and Deb Dana, and more. The cost is £97 for one year, which breaks down at around 27 p per day. The best bit is you can try it out for 30 days completely risk-free, as all orders come with a 100% money-back guarantee. If you're interested, please go to twumembers.com for more information.